So Holy Spirit, help us to understand very familiar words and know how we live in their truth. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome 11 o'clock and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. I want to welcome all of you guys. Thank you for being here. It's Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas is just so awesome. So welcome and Merry Christmas. Um, back when my family and I uh, still lived in California, we came up here for a visit uh, one Christmas, and we stayed at a hotel in Seattle, which we now refer to as the Hotel of Horrors, for several reasons. Uh, as I was unpacking, a little dog ran into our room, and Holly, our oldest, she was about two at the time, started crying because she's afraid of dogs. So I chased the dog out of the room, but on its way out, it got so scared, it lost control of itself and left a little deposit on the carpet which really freaked Holly out. So Christina kind of tried to calm her down and said, you know, don't be afraid. You, you scared that dog more than he scared you. He pooped on the carpet. He was so scared. And Holly said, yeah, I didn't poop, but I peed a little. <laughs> My sermon review team okayed that story, so if you don't like it, just email, email them. Well, then to calm Holly down, I took her down to the hotel pool, but she wanted to get in the hot tub, so she did. And I thought, I bet she would like the spa jets. So I turned on the spa jets. They made this hideously loud shrieking sound, and water shot up like a cannon out of the hot tub. So now Holly's really freaking out, strike two. Okay, but then that night we noticed that there was a Santa Claus in the hotel lobby. And we thought it would fix everything if Holly could just sit on Santa's lap. That turned out to be a bad idea. Who knew that Santa Claus could scare toddlers to death? So now it became known as the Hotel of Horrors. It's on Eastlake, in case you're wondering. Holly was surrounded by so many dangers, toils, and snares. Which is what Psalm 23 is getting at in verse 5. When it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I think this is the most interesting verse in the whole psalm. It's, it's such a striking image of a banquet table with all kinds of food on top of it, right? And the psalmist says, you anoint my head with oil. And back then, a host's job was to pour oil on a guest's forehead. It was perfumed. It made everything smell better. It says, my cup overflows. So it's this image of tons of food and, and wine that doesn't run out, right? But notice the setting. Notice the setting. It doesn't say you prepare a table before me in your dining room. It says in the presence of my enemies. That's where you put the table. It's this image of there's this battle going on all around. Arrows flying and sword fights and people dying, right? And there's Jesus in the middle of this battlefield, and he set up a banquet table, and he says, let's eat. And this is not how I would write the psalm. I think the psalmist got it wrong. I think the psalmist should have written it. It should say, you defeat my enemies in my presence. You wipe out my enemies in my presence, and then we eat, right? But that's not how he wrote it. No, in the presence of my enemies, you spread out a feast. And those enemies could be lots of things. It could be a diagnosis from the doctor, uh, a class in school that you're struggling with, a person who's spreading lies about you, a health, a financial, a, a relationship problem. And if you're like me, you're like, uh, Jesus, the, the enemy, the enemies? Like, can you deal with the enemies? And Jesus is like, oh, them. Don't worry about them. Here, have something to eat. You'll feel better. It's just this image of confidence and courage in the middle of a battlefield. It's resurrection confidence, which is different than other kinds of confidence that says God's going to spare me the battle. 
Psalm doesn't say God always spares us the battle. Sometimes, but not always, right? It says there's all, but it says that there is always a banquet of abundance in the middle of the battle if we have eyes to see it. See, resurrection confidence says the worst may indeed happen, right? Jesus, after all, was crucified. That's the worst. But then God raised him to new life. I may, I may fail that class. I may fail in my job. I may get lose, laid off. I may lose that relationship. But even if that happens, God will bring new life out of it just as he brought Jesus back from the dead. See, God doesn't always spare us the battle. He just prepares a table of abundance in the middle of it if we'll just look for it. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'll use this battle for your eventual good. It'll make you stronger. It will mold your character. It will steer you down a different path. It will cause you to realize something that you really need to know. And the underlying structure of this confidence is in the very first line of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is, therefore I shall. The Lord is strong, therefore I shall not fear. The Lord is love, therefore I shall be loved. The Lord is provider, therefore I shall have what I need. And even if I die, Jesus has already defeated that enemy, and I'll be raised in a new body as he was that will never know death, suffering, or pain again. And if even death is a defeated enemy, then what do I have to fear? Because Jesus will compel even the worst things to be the eventual servants of my joy. Which means we can have confidence in any battle, we can have confidence if, one really super important if, if we stick close to the shepherd. I said a couple weeks ago that sheep are very nervous creatures, always afraid of everything, right? But if they can see the shepherd, they always calm down. There could be a coyote five feet away, but if they can see the shepherd, they calm down. So if we focus on our shepherd Jesus, we will have more courage, more confidence, more peace. Well, how do I do that? Well, I tell you almost every week how to do it. It's actually not rocket science. It's not complicated theology. You pray, and you listen for those thoughts that maybe aren't your thoughts. You come to worship to be reminded of God's power, His promises, and His provision. You get Scripture. You read Scripture so you can get God's thoughts in your head. Other people, community around you to encourage you and to point you to the right shepherd. And you got to do that in the big things, but you also got to do that in the little things of life. I mentioned that a host job back then was to put oil on a guest's forehead. Um, but but your, my, uh, you anoint my head with oil could refer also to something shepherds did back then. Because uh, there's this insect called nasal flies. And they, they bury inside into the sheep's nose and lay their eggs inside the sheep's nose. Isn't that gross? Like that's like the grossest thing you ever heard and you heard it at church, right? So, and it just drives the sheep crazy. Right? They'll bang their head against a tree. They'll run around in circles trying to get rid of them. Right? That's me. Right? That's me. Sometimes it's not the big things that trip me up. It's the nasal flies of life. Right? That irritating person in the chemistry class next to you. The little digs your brother-in-law always gets in at your expense every Christmas. The barista that's too slow. The traffic jam that makes you late. Right? Nasal flies of life. So the shepherd would put oil on the sheep. You're all paying attention now, right? Like the nasal flies is like the only thing you're going to remember from this sermon, which is so sad. Um, so the, the shepherd would put oil on a sheep's nose to keep the, to keep the flies away. But, you, but once wasn't enough. You had to do it over and over and over and over. 
If we stick with Jesus over, over, and over, daily, hourly, minute by minute, then we will have more peace, joy, strength, confidence. And if we don't have those things, if we don't have peace, joy, strength, confidence, it's probably because we're trusting in some other shepherd. We're trusting the approval shepherd, trying to make everyone like us, which just exhausts us. We're trusting the money shepherd, which leaves us wondering, do I have enough? Do I have enough? We're trusting in the achievement shepherd, which always stresses us out. Last week after church, I was talking to a guy in the lobby, and a little boy came up to me, about four years old. This little boy came up to me and said, hey, you, why are you always up there talking? (laughs) And I said, well, it's my job. And he said, no, that's not a job. The guy I was talking to thought that was like the funniest thing ever. Everywhere I go, I get that. Pastor, now is that a full-time job? Nasal flies. (laughs) Now, I could let that erode my confidence. How come I don't have a cool, impressive job like all of you have, right? Or I I can focus on Jesus. Remember, I am who he says I am. That's my value. So who or what is your shepherd? What would be your honest version of this psalm? My grades are my shepherd. My job is my shepherd. My 401K is my shepherd. This relationship is my shepherd. Alcohol is my shepherd. Choose your shepherd carefully because when you come to the dark valley, and you will, those other shepherds will not help you there. But if we focus on Jesus, we walk in his confidence, which is something that we celebrate at Christmas time, that God left the comforts of heaven to come in the person of Jesus to, to, to walk through every dark valley there is, even death, and come out the other side. In fact, it's interesting. The, very, the psalm right before Psalm 23, the one right before Psalm 22, the first verse is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same words Jesus says from the cross. And then that psalm goes on. It says, they pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my clothes and cast lots for my garments. That was written 500 years before Jesus, matching exactly what happened at Jesus' crucifixion 500 years later. Pretty clear foreshadowing. And then it goes on to say, but you, Lord, you are my strength. In the assembly of people, I will praise you. The psalmist finds hope and confidence through worship, by praying, by focusing on God. That's what worship is, focusing on God. And then, that's Psalm 22, then the very next one, the one we're looking at, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, you prepare a table before me, my cup overflows. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, he prepared a table literally in the presence of his enemies. Judas was right there, ready to betray him. And he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out. My cup overflows for the forgiveness of your sin. He defeated sin and death. He knows the way out, so focus on him. So here's your homework for this week. First, don't let the enemy sit at your table. Now, I mean this metaphorically, so don't tell your mother-in-law she can't visit anymore. That's (laughs) not what I'm getting at here. We have an enemy, the devil, and he loves to lie to us, right? This problem is too big for you. You should be scared. You're going to be defeated, right? Don't let the enemy sit at your table. Tell him to go to his room, a.k.a. hell. And when he whispers, you don't have what it takes to deal with his enemy, say, you're right, but my shepherd does. And then second, ask God to help you see the ways he's setting a table before you, even in the middle of your battle. Because there's always, he's always doing it. We just sometimes don't see it. But if we have eyes to see it, 
we can see him at work in our lives. I experienced this very, very clearly in my father's death. In fact, I experienced a lot of things about God in my father's death, which means you all have to hear all the stories. Uh, my dad had a stroke, and he never regained consciousness. So my brother, sister, and I all drove over to the Tri-Cities where they, my parents live. And the doctors told us that it could take a week or more for my dad to die. Well, my brother just got a brand new job, tons of responsibility, and there were two meetings that week on Thursday that he absolutely couldn't miss, critical meetings. So given that the doctors were saying it would be a week or more until my dad died, my brother went back to Salem, Oregon, where he lives, to do these two meetings, and then was going to drive straight back to the Tri-Cities after he was done. Well, when I woke up that Thursday morning, my first thought was November 1st, All Saints Day, this would be a good day for dad to die. He was born January 11th, so 1-11, and it would be kind of poetic if he died on 11-1. And somehow I knew to my core, regardless of what the doctors were saying, I knew it was that day. And sure enough, when I got to the hospital, I could tell by his breathing, you know, because of my job, I've seen people die, I know what it looks like, and I could just tell he, it was, he was going to die that day, right? And I was debating whether or not to call my brother, and right as I was doing that, my brother called me from his car on the verge of tears. And he said he was in the first of the two crucial meetings and had the strongest sense of God he's ever had and felt God saying, you're not where you belong. Get to the Tri-Cities right now. And he tried to ignore it for a while, but it got more and more intense. He started to sweat. His hands were sweating, right? He said it was this sensation of being picked up by the collar and told, go. So he told, did not ask, told his boss he had to leave right then and got in the car and started driving. Well, while he was doing that, meanwhile, my sister and I started playing Johnny Cash singing my dad's favorite hymns because Johnny Cash is ever cool, appropriate for any generation in any situation. Right? <laughs> yes, right? Now, I know, I'll address our middle schoolers and high schools. I know some of you under 30 do not know who Johnny Cash is. And that, my friends, is what's wrong with education in America today. <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you, right? So, and occasionally my sister and I would sing along with these hymns badly, which was fine because my dad sang them badly too. And we read scripture over him and we prayed for him. And for the whole four hours my brother was driving there, my dad's vital signs were actually stable. And I thought, oh, maybe the doctors are right. He's not going to die today. But as soon as my brother walked in the room, his vital signs started to die. And my brother joined us in reading scripture, praying, hymns in the background. And I said, Bruce, I think he was just waiting for you. And sure enough, he died in less than an hour from when my brother got there. And my dad could find humor in almost any situation. It was one of his great virtues. So fittingly, there was even a little bit of awkward humor at the end. We were going to transfer him to hospice. But when they came to transport him, I was watching my dad. I was like, no, 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 he is just a few minutes away. And, and the nurse finally said, no, no, he will not survive the transport. So we said, leave him here. And they had to pack up, right? And it took him a, a while, a long time to pack up. And so it was kind of awkward, right? And I could kind of see my dad going, hurry up here. I'm trying to die here, okay? Come on, hurry up. And they left. And it was just a few minutes later that he died with all three of his kids holding his hands, praying, reading scripture, Hymns in the background, knowing all three of us and all ten of his grandkids are followers of Jesus. Not bad that. When it comes my time, may it be so for me. My brother said it was the most spiritual experience he's ever had in his life. 
He said it was so clear. God was so clear. And when I didn't obey, it got more intense. So he said, my lesson is when God tells you to do something, do it. And he said, if I ever doubted that God existed before, I never will again. It was so strong, so clear. My sister has always been afraid of death. That fear is gone. And for me, Jesus was so clearly in the room, the only word I have for it is holy. It was holy. And there's actually kind of a cool part two to this story, which I'll tell you about Christmas Eve. So you'll have to come back for that. There is no greater enemy to the human race than death. But see what Jesus did. In the presence of my enemy, he prepared a table before me. Because the holy doesn't usually happen in tidy ways, in tidy places. No, 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 no. The holy happens in messy places like a manger or in the middle of death or in the awkwardness of people packing up to leave. And everyone's story is different. But for us, because we focused on Jesus in prayer and worship and scripture, and we were focused on him, we could see the table he put out in front of us. And there was no fear, just love, hope, confidence, peace, even joy. And in the presence of my enemy, death, I saw that death is actually a defeated enemy. See, this is how I fight my battles. I focus on Jesus. This is how I fight my battles. I worship. This is how I fight my battles. I turn my eyes to him. Because when I focus on him, I realize it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm actually surrounded by him. And nothing is too strong for him. Nothing too small for him. He's afraid of nothing, conquered by nothing, outmaneuvered by nothing, owned by nothing, stopped by nothing, controlled by nothing. Which means there is nothing, nothing that can stop his good purposes in, through, and for me. There is nothing that can separate me from his love, not even death. So my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. My shame doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. My hurt, my sin, my failure, my weakness, my past, my present, my future, my battle, my enemy doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. So I fear no evil because I am standing on the rock, my firm foundation. His name is Jesus. Amen. So Jesus, thank you that you are here and that in every battle, you are preparing some kind of table of abundance. And so, Lord, for the people who are here today heavy-hearted, not even believing that is true, as you did for me in my dad's hospital room, open their eyes so they can see you there because you are the God that never lets go. And, Lord, for those of us who can see the table, thank you. We are so grateful for all the good things you bring into our lives. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.